concerned if your phone rings or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, all right. Turn that off. Good. When you, when you were a side man, you were doing arrangements back and forth, did, did the guys all want to lead a band? Or were, what were the ambitions? The guys want, all want to lead a band? Yeah, did they all want to get their own bands? No, I, I don't think they did. Uh, uh, I know that my ambition was, was uh, you know, I'm a child of the, of the um, Depression. And uh, when I was becoming a professional musician back in Pittsburgh, you know, my dad was really having a hard time, and the family was having a hard time. And I started going out making, I started going out making uh, three, four dollars a night playing the horn, and suddenly I was the breadwinner in the family. It just happened that way. And I needed, I always felt that, I, and I still do, you know, needed some security in my life. And so when I was a sideman, even when I was working for Glenn Miller, my eyes were, uh, uh, I was looking for uh, a kind of a job like working in one of the studios, one of the, working for the networks. I ended up working for NBC for six months in New York. And then I came out here to California. And uh, I never did have a staff job or anything like that, but I did. I always looked around to get a steady job. I mean, I was I freelanced a lot in the photograph record business, but I had uh, Ozzy and Harriet. I did that show for seven or eight years. This was in radio, you know, before, and it was it was my steady bread. You know, I knew I had that show every week, so I always looked. And I think most of the guys in the in the big bands. We're looking that way. If they played well enough to get some kind of a studio job, either that or, or they got out of the business. When you uh, you were in Pittsburgh playing the horn, how did this Odyssey get you to Charlie Barnett? Was that the first band you were with? Was Barnett? Charlie was the first was name the first band. I've yeah. Ever heard. Yeah. Sure right. I worked. I was working with local bands in Pittsburgh, and I ended up working with the most successful band there, which was a band called Baron Elliott. And Baron is uh, he's still around. His name is Charlie Kraft. He lives in Florida. And he had a very popular band. It was a Lombardo, a take you know, a copy of Guy Lombardo, and that wasn't very inspiring music. But like I said, we we were the best best band financially there in Pittsburgh. And I got a little bored writing that stuff. I was writing Where a playing training and writing. I taught myself. I picked it up myself. Yeah, I was a tuba player in high school, and I didn't like the tuba parts, so I got interested in why the horns do what they do. You know. And uh, so I just went out one night, and Charlie, Charlie Barnett's band was there, and he had a really roaring, raucous, jungle-type band. And I went out and asked him if I could ride an arrangement for him, and uh, I did, and he hired me. But then he broke the band up. That was in the summer of 38. And he broke the band up, and I kept working with Barron in Pittsburgh. But in uh, February 39, he went into the famous store, and he had made a deal with Consolidated Radio Artists and Billy Shaw, and uh, they, he called me, and I went to New York, and I was an arranger for the band for about four months, and then he decided to add a fourth trumpet and asked me to play trumpet in the band. The, the Barnett band uh, was, it was kind of a wild, relatively undisciplined, certainly compared to your next band. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really a... Uh, well, there was some discipline. In other words, we all came to work, and we all got there at the right time. But Charlie was very relaxed. I mean, he's you know he was. A, did you read his book? I've, I've got it, the book. Oh I've, yeah, you got to read. Yeah, you got to read the book. It's yeah. it's pretty funny. He's always had all the money he's ever going to need, you know, and so he ran it very relaxed. Um, and he had a bunch of guys who thought musically the same way he did. So it was kind of great. We we'd uh, go down to do a re recording session, and we'd have four charts and end up doing six sides because we had so many head things that we worked out. You know, somebody would get an idea for a riff and we'd elaborate on it 
and it would take about a month working every night. But by at the end of a month, we had a whole complete tune and a whole complete arrangement worked out. Once in a while, one of us would write out maybe eight bars where it was where we needed an out chorus or something like that. But there was a lot of that kind of stuff went on, you know, and everything was relaxed. And if you wanted to add something to it or something, uh, you did it. And uh, my big, the big story I always tell about the difference between Miller and and uh, Barnett, it was like <clears throat> going from a country club to go to work in a factory. And uh, in Barnett's band, uh, I mean Miller's band, we had to wear even the same kind of socks, make sure the socks were up, you know, the same ties, everything like that. And in Barnett's band, we had two uniforms. And one day the one day the guitar player came, we all had brown, coat, brown suits on, and he came with his blue suit, see? So, so if that if it happened in Miller's band, that, you know, that would have been a disaster. But in Barnett's band, he made a big thing of it and treated him like a soloist and made a big joke. And that was kind of the attitude, you know. Who was in the band? Uh, in Barnett's band? Yeah. Well, the guitar player, his name was Bus Entry. He got killed in an automobile accident out here just before the war. Um, the only, Cliff Lehman was in the band, the drummer. Sure. And Bill Miller, who still works for Frank Sinatra, was a piano player, yeah. And uh, let's see, the trumpets were Lyman Vunk, who's a good friend of mine who still lives in uh, New York, and uh, a fellow named Bob Burnett, who was a good trumpet player. He died just recently. Yeah, he was terrific. Yeah, right. He lived in Mexico. Charlie liked him because he was the same kind of guy as Charlie. He had a income from his family and was kind of a, a rich dude, you know. What was the quality of these players? Were they real? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Charlie, Charlie always had a good band. Yeah, they played their parts, or he'd fire them, you know. Skippy Martin was in the band. Uh, Skippy was a very good arranger. He he had worked for Basie and bands like that. He was one of the first white guys that ever worked for Basie, and he ended up working here at MGM. And I think Skippy is the guy who, who when he worked at MGM, came up with that vamp that that's associated with uh, singing in the rain. You know the the vamp they always use. I think that's Skippy's. Some some of the guys out at MGM told me that. Did the band work a lot uh, on the road? Barnett. Yeah. Oh yeah, we were we were on the road. Uh, yeah, we worked all the time. We you know very few days off. What very was few that nights like? off. Was it as, as advertised the bus and? Uh, well, <clears throat> when you're when you're 20 years old, 25 years old. You, a lot of things are fun that, that, that would be difficult now. But by the same token, I look back at that as a very, uh, a very valuable experience. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot about human nature. You're riding on a bus and living intimately with guys like this. You learn about getting along with people. And some people have idiosyncrasies and things like that. And, you know, there was a lot of bullshit went on in the band. Uh, uh, there was broads on the We had a couple of girl singers who were kind of loose with their morals and things like that, and it was kind of fun. And Barnett inspired good morale and loyalty? <laughs> well, he didn't, usually didn't ride with the on the bus. He always drove his own car, Barnett. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a good guy to work for most of the time, you know. How long did you stay with the Barnett? I joined Charlie in 1939, and I was with him until the end of 1940. I joined Glenn Miller the day that Roosevelt was elected. How did that happen? How did the Miller thing come about? Well, I'd written Cherokee for Charlie, and I wrote uh, Pomped and Turnpike for Charlie, and I wrote uh, a couple other ones for him. And we we were on Bluebird, which was Miller's Miller's label, and we were starting to make some noise. You know, I mean, uh, Cherokee was a pretty big selling record, and Pomped and Turnpike too. And uh, <clears throat> Miller needed some trumpet players, but he 
I understand that he hired me because he knew I was doing Charlie's writing and he was going to, you know, uh, he felt he could, which I guess he did, but Charlie came right up with, with uh, Neil Hefty after that, so it didn't hurt Charlie any. You mean he hired you to hurt Charlie? Well, to take away you know, the fact that I was writing for Charlie, that's what I understand. Was, it, but, was there a lot of that in the bank business? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, they would, they, if they could do it, they'd, you know, uh, Dorsey and uh, uh, Benny Goodman were always kind of gnawing at each other's guys, you know, and trying to get new guys or discover new guys. If someone came up with somebody and they figured, gee, that guy will sound good in my band, you know, they would go after them. Well, why would Miller have, have been uh, in, uh, influenced by Pop and Turnpike and Cherokee, kind of things he seldom did? I think he was influenced by the fact that they sold, ah. you know. I, th I don't think it was any, any although he, when I got into his band, he, he uh, asked me to continue writing whatever way I wanted, that don't, don't be influenced by the Miller style. In other words, he wanted me to add some different colors to the band, which I did. I did uh, Ida, which was a diff completely different thing, and I did a arrangement of A-Train, which was very, very, we treated it as a ballad. And there's a lot of people think that's a jazz classic that the Miller band made. And I did a lot of things like that, but Miller had uh, Jerry Gray and Bill Finnegan both working full time. You know, they were just arrangers. I was playing trumpet in a band, and and uh, that was a hard job. We worked all the time in that band. Why did you leave Barnett to go? Why, what was your motivation? Mo money, oh. pl pure and simple. Miller I mean, Miller Gray. Miller offered me almost twice as much money as I was making with Charlie. Yeah. How many? Uh, pardon my ignorance, but how many songs would be in the book of uh, of a, a band like Miller? How many things would he have to play? We had a book about that thick, about the size of the telephone book, but it, it was, uh, I would say there would be maybe 120 tunes that we carried. You know, he would he would throw old, old pop tunes out, you know, the discarded pop tunes, and bring in new things, and he carried a lot of old uh, standards that he did, and some of his early records, people, after he hit, and that happens with everybody, it happens with the rock guys, too. After they hit, the early records that didn't make it suddenly become popular, and you got to play them again, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, so I guess to answer your question, it was about uh, maybe up to 120 tunes, you know. And you were playing full-time with the band, yeah. and doing some arranging. Right, with Miller, that was, yeah. And, and just... The differences between the band, the personnel, the style, the leaders, and so you mentioned about the clothes and yeah. how rigid Miller was. That go all the way through it. Uh, yeah, Miller. Miller was a uh, uh, he was success oriented. He'd be very good in the present day administration. You know, he 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 uh, he he found a good thing and he hit and he was going to make as much money with it as he could and he and he did. You know, up to a point. I mean, he got his own right away. Got his own publishing company and he got everything going. You know, and. Uh, he was very insistent that the band looked exactly the way he went. You know, you, you're in the band, you had a job, you did what he said to do. And he knew what he wanted. He was a good businessman. I, I learned a lot from him. You know, I'm glad I worked there. And, of course, it helped my career to have worked in his band. You know, I'm aware of that. Tex told me a story about one time they were playing a theater. I guess it was a theater. You had to play for acts and had to do your show. And Miller gave him three days to learn everything by memory and then took away the stands. Oh yeah, right, that's right. We played, oh, that was hard. We were playing the Pennsylvania Hotel, it was the Statler now, and we were playing the Chesterfield show, which was uh, three nights a week, and which involved a rehearsal in the afternoon and the broadcast at night. And we were doing this show in the Paramount, and so we rehearsed the show, and then he said, all right, memorize the music because we're not going to use stands. So we had to, you know. 
So we did it, you know. <laughs> Uh, how yeah. about the personnel? Did they match up in quality, the, the Miller people? Oh, yeah. Miller was pretty pretty uh, uh, particular about who he had doing what. I mean, and he, you know, he, he enjoyed... Um, the band was a good musical band. I mean, it played well in tune. The rhythm section was a little logy or thumpy, but I'm not so sure that that wasn't Miller's fault, too. Um, <clears throat> Pertle wasn't a bad drummer. In fact, when Miller announced to the band that he was going to... Uh, enlist into the service. He, he hadn't made a deal with the Air Force at that time, so he uh, was looking around with the Navy, and this was the summer of 42, early in the summer of 42. Once he announced that the band was going to be you know, break up within the next three months, the band relaxed and it started to swing, finally. You know, I don't know what happened, you know. The last few months? Yeah, right, it, it did. I understand he tried to draft the, get the whole band in with him. So. Oh, yeah, he gave us all letters yeah. telling us how to get in the band, you know. But, but by the time uh, he went into service, he and I were, were <clears throat> we'd had some differences of opinion about publishing and original tunes and things like that. And I had an, I, I got tired, he, we, went, we came out to California and made the second picture in uh, 1942, the beginning of 1942. And, and he had promised us that, that once, once we were out here, we were going to have uh, take it easy. And I was just due to Chesterfield show and have the weekends off. But uh, with the war and everything, I can see his point. He suddenly one day, we just the manager come around and said, we're leaving for Chicago a week from Thursday. You know, and this was, we hadn't planned on it. So I got a little pissed at that because I was feeling my oats as an arranger and I'd been scotting around in the studios and everything. And uh, <clears throat> so I went back to to Chicago with him and I ran into a song plugger I knew and told him, you know, that I was interested in looking for a writing job because I didn't want to keep playing those army camps. We were playing, you know, afternoon and evening both by then time. So uh, when I got to New York, <clears throat> I got a call from a guy, Jack Egan, who was handling uh, Alvino Ray and the King Sisters. So I went up to see them, and they gave me a job right there, and I started right, arranging for them. So when Miller heard about it, he was pissed. He says, if you wanted to arrange all the time, you could arrange for me. And I said, well, I told you I didn't want to you know, travel that much anymore. So one thing led to another, and then he tried to get me to sign a five-year composer deal with his uh, publishing company, and I didn't want to do it. Who the hell knew what was going to happen with the war? You know, and he got, mad, he got a little miffed about that, that I would turn him down. So when he... When the, the fa famous last night of the band came, I just said to him, you know, hope, hope I see you again, you know, best good luck, Glenn, and that, like that, and that was the way we parted. Was, was there any time you had, a, uh, that you had any kind of personal relationship, or did anybody have a relationship with Miller? The... Well, you worked for him, you know, and he was on the stand every night. I mean, and, but, uh, other than you that, mean for, uh, a social? Social, yeah. Yeah, he threw a couple of little parties for us and things like that, but most of the social life was with the other guys in the band, not with him. You didn't have any... Particular no, he was a golfer, and I don't play golf. Yeah, and, that he uh, liked you. That, uh, well, he did. He 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 appreciated the fact that I was, a, you know, a, a coming up arranger, you know. But uh, he, uh, the fact that I took this other job and I I stayed on it for a long time. They're still good friends of mine. In fact, through that, I mean, I got that was how I got into Capitol yeah. Records because I was a good friend of the King sisters, and Donna King married uh, Jim Conklin, you know. Uh, when you joined the Ray Band, you didn't go traveling. You didn't... No, I just stayed in New York and was writing. But but by the time the Miller Band broke up, there was a shortage of trumpet players. So NBC called me and asked me to go to work up there. So I played trumpet up there and was writing for Alvino. It was a very lucrative period for me. Alvino had a, had a terrific band. Really good band, yes. Who was in that band? 
Yeah, Nick Fatul and Ralph Mazzola, who just died, was a good trumpet player, and Skeets Herford, and uh, Skeets, you know, was with yeah. recently with Well. Well, a lot of good guys. It's an underrated band. Yeah, you know, right. Talk about, they yeah. think of Albino Ray's kind of cornball later on. Yeah, right, with that, with that yeah. lousy guitar, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's such a nice guy, and he's a fine... Uh, He's a fine, uh, uh, what do you call it, gut string uh, Spanish guitar player. He studied with Segovia. But he's still out there playing. Oh know, yeah, he goes around band. and does a yeah, does a thing with the with the with the banjo and everything. <laughs> Wonderful guy. Amazing. Yeah. Well, now now you you're working in New York. It's the war, and you're yeah. playing staff with NBC. Yeah. Uh, did you have any ambitions of doing anything else, just more writing, or what, what did you? Well, do? the war was getting hotter and hotter, and I was one A. Yeah. You know, and I figured I was going to go into service, so. Uh, I had to quit, you know, and, and Alvino and, and, uh, and the King sisters came out to California and they were going to settle here for the war. And my first wife, I was married to my first wife, and she was a Los Angeles girl. So I figured the best thing to do is come out here so if I get drafted, at least she'll be with her parents. So we did. We, we, we came out here in uh, February 1943 and settled here. And I started getting my card in with, uh, with the union here. In those days, you had to wait a year before you could work. You, you could do some work, but it was there was a heavy restrictions. Did you ever go into service? No, I never did. I 4 f that. Ah. And uh, so I just stayed here. You know, well, did you know the guys at Capitol when they were starting? Uh, Johnny Mercer? I'd met John, yeah, and I, and I knew Paul Weston, you know, and, and uh, uh, but it was it was basically through Jim that I went to work there. I did a lot of dates over there at Capitol for, uh, for Paul. Paul was a band leader. And uh, uh, I played trumpet in a band, played second, third trumpet. And uh, I remember we did some of those early Betty Hutton dates. Uh, when went the boom, doom, doom, remember that thing she did? Oh, it took us all day to do, get that one side in because she was a t temperamental, crazy lady then, you know. And, uh, but I did a lot of... Uh, you were, you were uh, a staff musician and you do some No, I was just, just a freelance, yeah. just freelancing. And then Paul asked me to do some arranging. I did a couple things for him and slowly I got to know them over there. And then, Capitol Records in the 50s became uh, the golden time. Well, I did a lot of, ex I did work there for Ella Mae Morris, you know, they were yes. always trying to get her going. And then Alan Livingston came in there and he and I started and we did Bozo the Clown, their first ch children's thing. And we did a bunch of children's records there. Oh, yeah, I did. How did you develop this kind of skill? Well, I was writing for Ozzy and Harriet, you know. That, oh, so, well, that was Yeah, funny. I got into writing that, you know. And, and I came into Ozzy's band as a trumpet player. And then when he had his own show, he said, have you ever tried to do any of that stuff? And I said, no, but I'd like to try it. He said, fine. So I did a couple things, and he liked them. And then he had a, he had a guy leading the band. Ozzy was being an actor. He had a guy leading the band for the cues and that. that well, there was a personality clash, and he said, well, do you want to do it? And I never led it. So he says, you do it, you know, and you just start them and stop them. Was there much music on the Ozzy and Just little bridges and cues, you know, they're... they're Eight to ten second bridges, maybe four or five of them, through and do the themes and you know the play-ons and in the middle commercial break. You know, how radio used to be. Did you play with any other bands? Though? Oh yeah, during the war, jeez, I played with a lot of bands. Played with Bob Crosby, played with uh, oh. Woody Herman, played with uh, with um, uh, all the local bands around here that were working jobs. Were you writing arrangements too? Oh sure, sure. And I, by that time, what time I got my card, I was working for. Uh, Bing Crosby, working for John Scott Trotter as a ranger and trumpet player. And I was working for Bob Crosby, he had his own show, and I was doing work for him. Wow, that had to be mm -hmm. a very busy, productive time. Yeah, it was. I did a lot of work during and that, that period. And that took you to, uh, and after the war, 
you were you out here? Were you yeah. Still with the band then? Or no, I was I was freelancing by then. I was doing Ozzy's show, and I was doing John Scott Trotter's show, and uh, then that's when Alan Livingston, through Capital, we started doing the children's albums, and I started doing knocking those children's albums. We, I think we did sixty of them. Well, television put us out of business. See, Alan's gonna. Uh, I just talked to him recently. He's he's redoing. He's going to take some of those things. He owns the rights for them. He wrote the stories. And he's doing them um, as cartoons, video cartoons. He's going to do them on television. And he called me and asked me to do, you know, do the music for them. But I looked at it, and I haven't done anything like that. for. It's a whole complete bag doing that cartoon kind of stuff. You know? And I haven't done anything like that in 30 years, so I turned them down. Well, all this time, you had never formed a band during these big Oh, no, movies. no, I didn't have any band. No. And then you formed a band. Well, I was doing, uh, I was like the utility man at Capitol, you know, I was doing all the, all the, when they had a project they didn't know who to get, you know, they wanted to experiment, they would ask me to come in and help them, you know, or do it, like, they, that's how I got in the children's field, and they, they, uh, they had a bunch of crap that they had, they, you know, they made deals with, with Arthur Murray, that's how I got the Billy Mayband, they had a deal with Arthur Murray and they needed some foxtrots, to put in his oh, yeah, so series, yeah. so that's what I did I did I did the and I did the, that's where the Billy May Sax thing came I I was stuck for an idea and they wanted standard tunes I did all of me and I used that saxophone thing and uh, Jesus had caught on you know and suddenly I was a big time band leader. How'd you come up with that? I mean, just as an idea. Oh well, that was a sound that had been around and I just kind of developed it a little bit you know. And did you ever take this band out and? Oh sure, I was out. Was I was out with it. Sure, we we, we recorded with studio guys here. And then uh, we went out on the road. Uh, I got the band together. GAC made a, uh, you know, they had good bookings and everything and offered me to think. So I went out, I was out for 18, 18 weeks, what 18 was, months. What year was that? Though? I went out about the middle of 52 and I was out all through 53. I came back uh, the end of 53. When you really were running against the tide, all the other bands were breaking up at that point. Well, and so was mine, and I could see that the you know the handwriting was on the wall. I mean, see, I well, you just played all the same goddamn joints I played with Barnett and with Miller ten years before, you know, and I could see it's 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 you know there's nothing's happening here, you know. We did good business, we made a lot of money, but. What is your perception of why it ended? This was even before Elvis Presley and rock and roll. It ended. Uh... Well, there's there's too much other. Uh, forms of entertainment for one thing. I mean there was no television, there were no drive-in movies, you know, there was, the world was a much more simpler place, you know. People don't, you know, they don't enjoy dancing that way, the young people, the way they did in those days. I mean, the, during the war the Palladium was a place to be at night, you know, the band was playing and the broads were there and the servicemen and, you know, bars were open, God, it was really swinging. It's like, uh, like the disco joints now, you know. Well, after 52 and you, your band in 53 broke up, uh, what then? It was still before the onslaught of rock and roll. And, and I know yeah, I came, back, I came back here and, and got back into writing, and, and, uh, and uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. Was there anything significant that you were writing? I know, I know in 57 you did Sinatra, you did Matt Cole, I'll talk about that later, but anything between that 53 and 55, 56 that was... Well, I, did a bunch of, I did a bunch of Billy May albums that, that are still pretty popular, then Sorta May, Sort of Dixie, yes. they're uh, kind of collector's albums for the for the uh, Billy May fans in the world. Should be on CD. Should yeah, and then then uh, and I'd done some work. Let's see, I did Sinatra when Sinatra came over to Capitol. What was that about 55? 55. Yeah, when he came over to Capitol, uh, 
the first couple of sides he did came out, I was a band leader. But, uh, you know, we, they paired us. And, and uh, I, have, I still have a royalty on some of those records because uh, I was a star and he was, you know, just coming on the label. So they split it. So, uh, and I never had anything to do with those records. I was out on the road with my band and Nelson Riddle did them for me. He hired the guys that I had used, and he wrote the arrangements, and it sounded like it. You know, it wasn't that hard a thing to, and to do. Nelson just come along? Uh, no, he was working there. By this time, he had been working at Capitol for Nat, you know. And so they, they, they asked Nelson if he could do it, and they called me and said, is it all right if he does it, you know, and you're going to get the royalty? And I said, fine, go. So they did, and, and Nelson did me a favor, and thank God I was able to repay the favor a couple times for him, you know. He was a nice man. Oh, he was terrific. Yeah. He was terrific. He's a very good friend. Incidentally, uh, uh, he was. He really had a hard life. Billy, the first album you did with Sinatra, I, I think, was Come Fly With Me, right? Yeah, right. 57? Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? He wanted me. He, he requested me. I'd known I knew Frank since the days I was with Miller. He was with Tommy. And I don't remember meeting him, but the bands were around there in New York and like that. And then. When I first came out here in that early period, when I was here right after the war, Axel was working for Frank, and uh, I ghosted a lot of things for Axel. Did a bunch of when we were doing the uh, the Lucky Strike hit parade, Frank was doing it. He Axel couldn't get all the music ready, so I was helping him. Two or three arrangers, and uh, that's when I first started working with Frank. And Frank lives in Toluca Lake here, right over by Lakeside Country Club then. And Early I, on, when you knew him with Dorsey, <coughs> was, he, was he pretty cocky? Or? Yeah, yeah, I guess he was, you know. I didn't know him that well. I yeah. didn't, you know, I just knew he was in the band, said hello to him and met him somewhere. But, uh, but he was fine and then, well, you know, when, by the time he was on his own, as far as we were concerned, you know. I mean, uh, I guess he was having trouble with a lot of other people, but uh, as far as musicians, he always, he loves musicians. Yeah. He likes to get along with them, you know. Never had a problem. As far as, in all the years we bought reprise and we, yeah. and I never had a problem. The Come Fly With Me album is a, an amazing record. Uh, yeah, that worked out good. Well, it was a good, it was a good, uh, a good idea and a good project. And Jimmy and uh, Sammy wrote good songs. You know, Jimmy's a good writer. God, poor guy, he's sick now. He's you know. very sick. Yeah. He's, uh, was the concept Frank's, yours, Jimmy's? Uh, uh, I don't know whose it was because when I when they asked me and why they had already got it, had it all formulated and the tunes were written. They had all the songs and everything. Yeah, right. And then uh, you, about a year later, you did the next one, what, Dance With Me? Dance Come with Dance With Me, yeah, right. Is that again uh, formulated and gave you songs? Yeah, yeah, same way. It same seemed way. they were looking for you, Frank was looking for you for the up-tempo stuff. Were you getting put in a bag there or anything like that? Or? No, I don't know. They, they, I guess he did so many ballads with... with uh, with Nelson and Gordon Jenkins and everything, that he just wanted to change the pace. Although Nelson made one of his biggest hits, that the way he does uh, "I Got You Under My Skin." That's a great record, you know. That I I don't know if any record company had at their you know at the disposal the quality of people that Capitol Records had. Yeah, right. They really had a lot of good people. There. Well, who was the the spark behind that? Was it Mercer who was first in it? But he got he was out of it by that time. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was a combination of things. Uh, Lee Gillette was uh, very good. I mean, he protected. He protected Nat Cole, and he protected. Uh, uh, but Sinatra, of course, he he didn't get along with anybody up there. Uh, he, he he. That's when the trouble started with Kaplan and Sinatra because he didn't like Boyle Gilmore. Was that true? Yeah, and so when, by the time Dave Kavanaugh got in there, Dave was a great guy, and Dave, I think Dave was the guy that had the best ears up there. Dave and Dave Dexter. 
both of them had pretty good ears, and they were very knowledgeable at the jazz. Dave Cavanaugh brought in Dakota State, and then he brought in Nancy Wilson. He brought in uh, Jonah Jones. He brought in Pee Wee Hunt. You know, he brought in all kinds of... He had a good ears, and he heard quality and, and things like that. And by the time they... Uh, by the time... Um, um, uh, Frank was having trouble with them. That's when they, Dave started to work with Frank, and uh, that was the best. That's what's. The, the, it was a bad break, you know. They got mad at each other, but Dave was the one soothing factor there. I mean, he that was the only guy that Sinatra would talk to, you know. Yeah, I, I know we would sit back. Uh, I'm a disc jockey in Boston, and that Capital Package would come. Yeah. It would be the first one opened. It was really yeah. a, a marvelous time for him. Yeah, company. right. It was, it was a lot of fun, too, you know. Then when, he went on, then when he went on reprise, he just wanted all of us to come over there, and we did, you know. There was no hold on us as rangers. What did you do for him at reprise? No, oh, I did a couple, three, four of them. I don't know what the numbers, names of them are now. I didn't now. even look through the, the files on that. I got them all. Yeah, there's uh, one with Granada in it. I did at least three albums for him over there. Then I did a lot of single stuff, or you know, in between. I did a couple of dates. He was really being temperamental, and I did a couple of dates for Jimmy and Jimmy and Sammy wrote some songs, and Frank came down and he was pissed. And we recorded. We made the backgrounds. I don't think he ever made them. He never added the voice to them. You know. What was it like working with him as opposed to some other vocalists? Uh, <clears throat> well, you hear. I always heard about what a terrible bastard he could be. You know. And I've seen him that way. I've seen him really chew people out. But uh, with me, it was always really easy. I mean, I went in, he's, he's a good musician. He knows what he wants, you know. And that makes it easy. You go and work for some ass like Vic Damone or Tony Bennett. I mean, Tony um, Martin was the worst. You know, uh, I think what they want to do is impress the musicians with their musicianship. And they'll start chewing out the, what the hell is that? You know, change, change that. I can't, you know. And Frank never does anything like that. I mean, he listens and if he... Find if he if he makes a change, it's it, it makes sense musically. You know, I can't say that about most other people. Peggy Lee's like that. She's she's a pretty good musician too. You know, I enjoyed working with her. Uh, how was Nat Cole? Oh, Nat was great. Nat was you know I knew Nat when he was just a piano player. I knew him in Chicago, and uh, so he was you know really cool. I enjoyed working with him. You you made uh, just one of those things album. Did you make some other records? With I you? made two albums with two or three albums with Nat, and I did a couple singles. I did Send for Me. And I did uh, Walk on My Baby was was originally a single. What uh, was, how was he in the studio? Oh, completely relaxed. He was, uh, you know, he completely relaxed. Never chewed anybody out? No, no, no. Well, he'd make a change once in a while, but uh, not, he, he, he was, he was very, uh, you know, he, he knew what he wanted ahead of time and he'd lay it out pretty well. And we, when we had a meeting, we discussed it, and that was it. And there was never any trouble, you know. And you said Peggy was also a pretty good musician. Yeah, Peggy was. Peggy's a little more temperamental, but she, but she uh, knew what she wanted pretty well. Yeah, she's got good ears. Who else at Capitol? Who else were you making records with at that time? Well, oh, geez, I recorded with almost everybody. I did a whole bunch of. I did a big album with Ella, 1960. Which album was that? Uh, the Harold Arlen package. Oh, yeah, and uh, Jesus, it, it, it's it's still going on, I guess. Uh, um, in my opinion, Norman Grants, he's great for those people because he, he takes care of them and pays them and gets them their royalties and everything. Ella hadn't seen a royalty check from Decca in something like 15 years when he took her over, you know. And uh, so that was great. But his idea of music is, is jazz at the Philharmonic, you know, and there's other ways to do it. And especially you've got a, a great vocalist like Ella 
there's a lot of ways you can set you know set a background behind that besides just boom 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 you know jazz and so we had a couple of uh, differences of opinion that that album could have been a lot better if Norman would get his ass out of there but what are you going to do you know and and we did we did for instance we did uh, over the rainbow, you have to do over the rainbow in a Harold Arlen package for Christ's sake, you know. And uh, she didn't want to do it because she thought it was a little girl's song. And Norman said, "Well, you, you know, you, you got to do it." So she and the bridge, she just was putting it on da 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 like that. And uh, so Norman called me in the booth. He says, "Boy, she's farting it off." He says, "We got to do it again." He says, uh, "So go out there," he says, "and tell the drummer something, you know, that that, that was what was wrong, and I'll tell him from here, you know." So I went out there, and so she came up to me, and she says, I know what he said to you. I said, what did he say? He says, he says he's going to tell the drummer that there's something wrong because he doesn't like the way I'm singing it. <laughs> she was reading it right along. She's a nice lady. Any incidents like that with the Sinatra and that girl at Peggy Lee? Did you remember in particular any things that happened in the studio? Uh, when, uh, when Sinatra was finishing up the deal with Capitol, this is one of the great stories of the band business. He was really getting picayunish with Kaplan, you know. I mean, they they'd record it, and he and he had his entourage there. And uh, I just happened to be in the studio this day for some reason. And Nelson was leading, and they had about 35 musicians there. And they they get the tune done, and uh, and before they'd start playing it back, Frank would say, "I don't know how the hell you think you can make records with that mic up there, you know, or something." He'd pick out something like that, you know. See, so finally, you get up to like take 28. <laughs> See, and Nelson stops the band, and close. You know, they finished it. And Nelson stops the band, and Frank's looking around. What's he gonna pick on now? And Sweets was in the band, Sweets Edison, and he hollered from the back, "Shit, Daddy, you can't do it no better than that!" <laughs> and everybody laughed, including Frank, and that was it. You know. So we use that. I mean, that's always what, when someone says, "How's a record?" We say, "Well, in the immortal words of Sweet Edison, shit, Daddy, you can't do it any better than that." You know? <laughs> Frank was on the floor laughing. He likes Sweet. You know? Was Matt Cole fun in the studio? Oh yeah, but there wasn't that. There wasn't that raucous, you know. When I was working with Matt, by that time he was really a big, you know, big star and everything, and he was enjoying that, the, the well, being Sinatra, a superstar. Sinatra got a little wacko from time to time there. Well, he 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 was uh, being a little picky with Capitol, you know. He was just was pissed Capitol. at them, you know. It was at the Capitol Studios. So, but but Sweets broke him up so bad that day. Well, you have a reputation of being, uh, or had a reputation of being wild, a funny guy, and so forth. How did you perceive yourself? You, uh... Well, I always I always uh, figure if you if you can laugh about it, it's going to be better, you know. What the hell? The product we're selling is entertainment, you know. I mean, it's a serious business. I've been, you know, I know the ins and outs of it and everything, but but uh, I've always, I, I feel very lucky. I've had a very lucky life, a very good life. I mean, I thought about it a great deal when I thought about poor Nelson. Nelson had such great talent, you know, he's a good writer and everything, but he, he had unbelievable problems with that first wife and then the, the second wife, the situation with his kids, and it's just a... Uh, the burden on him. Yeah, right, it must have been terrible. But How did guy. you deal with the uh, rock and roll onslaught of the... Uh, 60s and the 70s, what uh, were you doing mostly then? Well, I thought it was, you know, it's like Tom Adair said. Someone asked, Tom Adair is a great songwriter, you know, he wrote all those tunes with Matt Dennis, the early tunes, and he lives in Hawaii now. He got a good ASCAP rating or something. Anyway, he he was working for, uh, for um, oh, what's the guy's name, Ralph Carmichael, and they were doing some work for, um, 
What's the guy in the, the, the evangelist in Tulsa, Oklahoma? That Oral big Roberts. Oral Roberts. They were doing some stuff for him, and and Tom was just going in and helping Ralph rearrange the lyrics a little bit so it would work, work some kind of a you know uh, religious package. So we were down at uh, at um, Gordon Jenkins' house. This was maybe in the early seventies, and uh, Gordon says, "What are you doing these days, Tom?" And Tom told him, and, and Gordon says, "Well, it's all right. It must be a good job." He says, "But don't start to believe any of that stuff they're giving you there, you know." And Tom says, "Listen," he says, "It beats the hell out of sitting around in a saloon waiting for rock and roll to blow over." <laughs> Mitch Miller about that. Too. Yeah. You think the rock and roll is about to come to an end? Yeah, God, I don't know. I always thought it was going to collapse on itself, you know, <laughs> like the black hole, because it's so there's nothing there, you know. But what were you doing then during the 60s and 70s? Mostly? Well, I was working, uh, doing a lot of television work. I did, I did, uh, I did Naked City uh, when it first came around for for uh, ABC for Burt Leonard for uh, th two or three years. And then I got uh, sick, and then after I got well, I, I had a heart attack. And when I got over that, I, I uh, went to work for Lionel, and I did a couple of shows out there for him, did a couple of pictures for him. For Lionel? Lionel oh, Newman. Lionel. Yeah, and I did uh, Gr uh, Green Hornet, and I did a couple, a year of Batman after Neil Hefty turned to Don. And then uh, I went to work for Earl Hagen, and I did Mod Squad for about three years. That was a good show. And then uh, I did the Time Life series for Dave Cavanaugh at Capitol. I did all those, and that was a three-year job. That was a yeah, wonderful job. Recording those videos. Yeah, taking I those. You, I, I did that whole series. Yeah, well, I had, took them all off the record. I did it right here, right here in this house. Took it all off the records, and and uh, and we re-recorded them. He asked me to do a couple of record dates. He said, because see, the the original package was a. Uh, was uh, uh, they had done a Glenn, Glenn Gray, a couple of Glenn Gray packages at, at Capitol. And, uh, you know, the, here, here are the old bands. And they were very successful for Glenn Gray. And they sold, and that was it. And then Scotty, I don't know if you know him, F.M. Scott, he's, yes, he's a founder of the, of the Record Academy. Yeah. He was working at Capitol, and he went to work for Time Life. And after a while, he got the idea that, that uh, maybe that, you know, he knew those old masters were up there, and he called Dave, and they worked out a deal. Uh, Capital owns all that stuff, but there's a uh, lease arrangement with Time Life. So they made this kind of a deal, and so they put out a sample package with their great mailing lists and everything, you know. And Dave said, we're going to put out the one album. He says, so we need like about, the, the package is bigger, you know, instead of 12, it was 20. So he said, well, you do want to do six sides or so, maybe two dates. And I said, sure. So we did it. We did a couple of new Glenn Miller things. I copied them. And by the time we got those done, they had gotten the sample back. And what was originally supposed to be two dates ended up in, I recorded once a week for at least, sometimes twice a week, for at least three years. Wow. You know, we just went on. We did 420. These two. things will be coming to me for the rest of my life then. Huh? Well, there's there's a 420 plus the Benny Goodman package, which is another another 60 sides. So they come every two months or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Did you sign up for them? I signed up for them. Are you getting? How are you getting them from the? Are you getting cassettes or I'm what? I'm getting cassettes, and yeah. one of the cassettes went bad, and I called them, and they're going to replace it. I mean, yeah. it was all mixed up in the. Uh huh. But it's terrific. Yeah. I find it's great party stuff. It's. It's oh, so yeah. clear. Right, it's really we good. We did some great mastering. Oh, yeah, right. Too. Yeah, they've, re that, they've remastered them since we did them. We, I got the original uh, phonograph set, you know. The, the cassettes are wonderful. I'm going to have to get a set. I'll have to they, call they somebody back. They should make them in CD. They yeah. should make a compact disc. Well, uh, 
there's talk about that, but it has to be re-recorded, see? Oh, it has to be. Yeah, it would be really be expensive. That's what I understand. Have you done a movie, I mean, a, like a, a Francis Lay, have you done a whole movie score? You've written the music for Oh, yeah. I did two or three. I didn't, I wasn't too successful in that field. I did a, a, two pictures for Sinatra. I did Sargent's Three for him, and I did a picture called Tony Rome. Oh, yeah. And, uh... Did you enjoy that at all? Yeah, I like that. That's okay. But uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the phonograph record, and television is easier, and you, you know, and you can. Pictures are hard because you're. There, there's a certain talent to writing pictures. I think John Williams and, and Johnny Mandel and those guys all have a. It's a it's an attitude more than a the talent, but they they do it very well. What's Johnny, the most fun you've had? I have fun doing everything. You know, I, I, I that's why I started to say. I mean, I thought when Nelson died about how fortunate I've been. I mean. I, I've had my share of trouble. I've been, uh, I've been married. This is my fourth fourth wife, you know, and uh, marital difficulties don't come inexpensive, and things like that. And I've had a lot of trouble. And my, my, uh, I have two grown daughters. My wife has two grown daughters. So I'm to the point now. I'm going to be seventy my next birthday, and uh, geez, I've I look back and it's been relatively great. I've had a lot of uh, good times, whether it's with Charlie Barnett or with Dave Cavanaugh at Capitol. We ended up making children's records there, and we have such a party. Jesus, the, the, the spilled rum and coke would be that deep in the control room. We're making children's records, you know. <laughs> oh, it was great fun, you know. Oh, that's great. Billy, thank yeah. you very much. Okay, doc.